Hello, it's Seabass. You probably already knew that. Well, we made it. We made it past the year that was 2019. A year jam-packed with manifestations, protest, and kombucha girl. No. Well. <laughs> but most importantly, a year full of outcries for a better, more sustainable way of life. Whether it was for a preservation of personal freedoms, like in Hong Kong and Iran, economic mismanagement and corruption of government like in Haiti and Lebanon, election fraud in Bolivia, or even a subway fare hike in Chile, people from all over the world rose up in mass, in the hundreds of thousands, millions even, to protest their displeasure against their respective governments and force a change in their social contract. On a more global scale, the issues of climate change and wealth inequality have spread across borders, with billions of people around the world forcing world leaders to take more action against the impending dangers of drastic climate conditions and the concentration of the world's wealth accruing at the very top to a small number of wealthy plutocrats. The latter may be not gaining much momentum yet. But overall, 2019 ended the decade the same way it began in 2011, with a spring of global protest and a strong demand for change. Now, what does 2020 and this new decade have in store for us? From the looks of it, probably a lot more of the same. More massive demonstrations, more calls for change, and unfortunately, the more potential for violence. And who knows where Donald Trump and his unpredictability will lead us. So straddle on in and buckle up guys because it looks like we're in for a bumpy year this year. And with that, I welcome you to the year 2020. And to the podcast. Welcome to the Under the Sea Bass podcast. In this episode, we travel to the country of India. The Republic of India is a massive country in South Asia. It's huge. Seventh biggest country in the world with the second greatest population standing at 1.3 billion people. That's nearly four times the population of the United States. Home to elephant spa baths, cricket, and Bollywood films, India has introduced to the world many great innovations and distinct cuisines. And with such a large population, there is a plethora of cultural, multi-ethnic groups of people, many speaking a variety of languages. Languages such as Assamese, Bengali, Kashmiri, Nepali, Punjabi, Sanskrit, Zindi, Urdu, Tamil, Bodo, Manipuri, and Sansali. Plus, many others I didn't name. But most people today tend to speak either Hindi and or English. There are also a variety of religious factions in India. And because religion forms such a crucial aspect of identity for most Indians, much of India's history can be understood through the interplay among its diverse religious groups. It is the birthplace to four of the world's major religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, and Sikhism, with the great majority of that population following the Hindu religion. According to the 2011 census, close to 80% of the population in India practice Hinduism, while 14% practice Islam, 2% Christianity, and the rest a combination of Sikh, Jainism, and Buddhism. Over 94% of the world's Hindus live in India. But yet, despite the great majority of the population being Hindu and practicing Hinduism, India is still a secular state, meaning that religious diversity and religious tolerance are both established in the country by law and custom. For instance, the Constitution of India has declared the right to freedom of religion to be a fundamental right. And that's something very important to keep in mind. So if you're wondering by now why am I talking so much about India's religious demographics, 
Well, it has a lot to do with the major protests currently unfolding in the massive subcontinent. So let's find out right now what's going on in the country of India. In India, political unrest continues after a citizenship law passed parliament earlier this month. It expedites a path to citizenship for religious minorities living in India, but excludes Muslims. Today, thousands turned out nationwide to protest the new law. Alright, so here's the backstory. On December 11th, the Indian parliament introduced and passed a bill titled the Citizenship Amendment Act, an act that essentially grants Indian citizenship to immigrants or religious refugees from Afghanistan, Bangladesh, and Pakistan, only to those immigrants who entered India before 2015 and that are either Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists, Jains, Parsis, and Christians. The groups of people that were left out of this path for citizenship were Tamil Hindu refugees from Sri Lanka, Rohingya refugees from Myanmar, Buddhist refugees from Tibet, and more notably, Muslims. Again, only Hindu, Sikh, Buddhist, Jain, and Christian immigrants or refugees from Afghanistan, Bangladesh, and Pakistan benefit from this amendment. In the aftermath of this decision, violence ensued. Another nine people were killed Saturday as protesters in northern India clashed with police. The nationwide death toll in protests against a new citizenship law now stands at 23. The internet has been shut down in places as officials continue to try and suppress the protests. The major fallout of this decision has resulted in the death of over 30 people, hundreds more injured and thousands arrested. Major demonstrations have taken place in cities such as Mumbai, New Delhi, Assam and Karnataka, despite there being a ban on public gatherings. Protests have been mostly peaceful, though that has not stopped police from using excessive force on some citizens. Now, there are two major reasons for people being upset about this controversial bill. On one side, there are those who are upset with the Indian government for granting the decision to give citizenship status to any immigrant, no matter the religion or country they're coming from. In the northeastern state of Assam, for instance, an area of India that is mostly bordered by Bangladesh in the west and Myanmar in the east, as well as home for its extraordinary wildlife, archaeological sites, and cultivation of delicious teas. In Assam, again, a state farther away from central India and closer to the other countries, have seen protests turn into full-blown riots. Many of the indigenous groups there fear that giving citizenship to large numbers of immigrants would change the unique ethnic makeup of the region and their way of life, regardless of religion, explained here by this protester. So we do not want Assam to lose its identity and overdue and, and overwhelmed by the external powers, external forces and external people coming from Bangladesh because we know that we will become the minority in our own land. They also criticized this decision by the government as they say it violates a treaty they signed in 1985 called the Assam Accords. In this treaty, it predates a movement led by the All-Assam Students' Union. This violent and destructive movement that began in 1979 demanded for the identification and deportation of all illegal foreigners, predominantly from Bangladesh, or what was known as East Pakistan at the time, who were simply seeking refuge from a brutal civil war being fought in Pakistan in 1971. Most of the immigrants escaping the violence were Muslims. Then in 1985, when they signed the peace accords, the government of India created a method to identify people who came in after 1971, something I'll explain with a little more detail a little later. Either way, the people of Assam feared that continuing this large-scale migration was overwhelming the native population, impacting their political rights, culture, language, and land rights. This Assam movement resulted in the estimated deaths of 855 people. In the end, the government of India agreed to set up barricades and barbed wire fencing to prevent further migration into Assam. 
Now fast forward to 2020, and those anti-immigrant sentiments are bubbling up again in this region, this time targeting a much larger demographic across India. Muslims, a group accounting for 14% of the population. Overall, this has become an unfortunate common wave of discrimination that different groups of Muslims in Asia have been experiencing lately, notably the Rohingya in Myanmar and the Uyghurs in China, with many of these people being placed in concentration camps. The government in Bangladesh is threatening to send tens of thousands of Rohingya refugees to a remote island by force, despite warnings from environmentalists and rights groups. We're getting an extremely rare look inside China's controversial internment camps. More than a million Uyghurs and others belonging to various Muslim minority groups are believed to be detained in the Xinjiang region. China calls them thought transformation camps built to prevent extremism from spreading, but reports indicate they're more like prisons. On the flip side to the protesters, the mostly 220 million Muslims living in India are proclaiming this as an act of discrimination and a violation of their freedom of religion. In the city of Hyderabad, in the uh, Silicon Valley, basically, in a city where over 40% of the population are Muslim, 100,000 people gathered to protest the government of Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Modi, who since coming to power in 2014, has vowed to turn India into a special hub for all Hindus. His nationalistic approach, titled Hindutva, aims to define Indian culture in terms of Hindu culture and values in which has marginalized the Muslim community that, although accounting for 14% of the population, only hold about 5% of political power. Indian Muslims fear this new law will somehow strip them of all Indian citizenship. And that is because in India, there is something called the National Register of Citizens. Stay with me here. The National Register of Citizens, or NRC, was initially created for that state with immigration problems I mentioned earlier, Assam. It was meant to help prevent further illegal immigration. In it, the registry takes into account every person that can prove to be a citizen of India. The most recent update happened in November 2019, when out of the 33 million people living in Assam, 31 million came back as citizens. Most of the people who were left out were Bengali Hindus and, you guessed it, Muslims. That means these people were left without a country to call home. Now, with this Citizenship Amendment Act that Prime Minister Modi passed, this will allow most of those Bengali Hindus to become citizens, while completely excluding the Muslim population, upsetting many, like activist Yogendra Yadav. This Citizenship Amendment Act is against the Indian Constitution. It is illegal. It is against the spirit of independence of our country. All right, now for a quick history lesson. The division between Muslims and non-Muslims in India began back in 1947, when India won its independence from Britain. During this meeting of political leaders, something we now know as the Radcliffe Line was born. This line divided India into what is now present-day India and present-day Pakistan, and it was split mostly along religious lines. Hindus in India, Muslims in Pakistan. The border division wasn't thoroughly well-planned, and as you can imagine, violence between religious refugees ensued. Most Muslims escaped India and fled to Pakistan, but some decided to remain in India. Throughout the years, violence has ignited near the borders of India and Pakistan, most recently with the northern disputed region of Kashmir, a region where both countries technically have control over but always end up in some sort of spat over land rights and who gets to control what. In 1990, Islamic extremists pushed out many Kashmiri Hindus from their home and since then, Modi has promised to reclaim land back for Hindus, even though it's a mostly Muslim region. It began last year when Modi removed that special status of Kashmir and even blocked internet access to the people there for a few days, which is a whole nother topic to delve into. So now the question is, why? 
why exclude Muslims? Well, the simple answer, it's politics, dummy. What else? Soon after announcing the NRC results from the state of Assam, India's home minister or second man in charge, Amit Shah, declared in the Indian parliament that the NRC will be implemented throughout the entire country starting next year, 2021. And that could spell trouble for the millions of Muslims living in India, even if they're citizens. Prime Minister Modi says they have nothing to fear. The Muslims who were born on Indian soil or whose ancestors are children of Mother India, brothers and sisters, they have nothing to do with citizenship law or the National Register of Citizens. The Muslims are neither being sent to any detention centers nor do any detention centers exist. Brothers and sisters, this is a white lie. The problem is that most of the Muslims living in more rural parts of India, even though claimed to be citizens, simply don't have the documents to prove their status, not least because birth dates are a matter of guesswork in much of rural India, and decades-old paperwork can be misspelled and hard to come by. Even Hindu citizens have said this is discrimination and does not abide by the rules of equality provided in the constitution, like how this one protester says. I think people have come out in large numbers because they understand how this government is damaging the fabric of the country. Hindu, Muslims, everybody are equal. We want that equality. We want to, in fact, move towards greater equality. Several chief ministers, or the equivalent of governors here, across states in India have disapproved of the decision and have said they will not implement the new citizenship rule. So from a political perspective, this can affect the voting rights for millions of people across India and possibly give the BJP, Modi's right-wing nationalistic political party, a much stronger hold on Indian politics for years to come. So let's tie it up by bringing it back to today, 2020. Prime Minister Modi and his BJP party ran on a platform of bringing justice back to the Hindu people, even at the expense of marginalizing Muslims in the process. He won re-election for Prime Minister last year. And throughout the years, tensions have risen amongst Hindus and Muslims. Modi favors the construction of Hindu temples and no more mosques. He even at times have blamed Muslims for the impure corruption of Indian women, among other things. Hindu vigilante groups even punish Muslims for selling beef because cows are sacred in the Hindu religion. All of this can perhaps be a political tactic to distract his own people from the significant economic struggles India has been experiencing as of late. But overall, in my humble opinion, it is quite difficult to assess when this tension will boil over. If the implementation of this National Register of Citizens does go into effect next year, this could spell potential violence between the government and the Muslim population. There are rumors that Modi's hopes is for Muslims to evidently migrate from India into other countries such as Pakistan or Bangladesh, but that has not been confirmed. However, one thing is for certain. If Modi continues to favor his own Hindu people at the expense of others, it will confirm the fact that India, the world's biggest democracy, is no longer a secular state with religious freedoms. Imagine it this way. Say if one day in the United States, Protestant Christians were granted full rights, but other religions like Catholics or Mormons would potentially be stripped of citizenship. A hard case to imagine, but that could be the reality in India. We shall see what comes next for the millions of people affected in the coming months. Even if they become deported, where will they go? The answer so far, nobody really knows. Pakistan has refused to accept more refugees and so has Bangladesh. Until then, I'll leave you with a quote from one of India's greatest leaders, Mother Teresa, in which she said, If we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. It is a statement that rings true, as I hope for India to realize that we are all capable of love, acceptance and peace, 
regardless of our religious affiliations. This has been Under the Sea Bass on India. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to Under the Sea Bass, this episode on India. As always, I'd like to give a special thank you and dedication to my sources for this episode. Harry Kumar, Maria Abdi Habdid, Kai Schultz, and Samir Yasir from the New York Times, Swati Gupta and Ivani Kotasova from CNN, Sigal Samuel from Vox, Britannica Encyclopedia on India, DW News, PBS NewsHour, Kini TV, CBS News, and of course various trusted sources on Wikipedia. If you're enjoying these episodes or think I have it all wrong, please send me an email at undertheseabasspodcast at gmail.com. Would love to hear your thoughts. Until then, remember to expand your mind, join the movement, and learn all about global social movements here on Under the Sea Bass. Have a great week.